As I mentioned, today is International Women's Day, and it is also right around the corner from a very important festival, the festival of Pesach. I know it's hard to believe because it's not even midway through March, but in a week and a half we will be celebrating Pesach. Jews all over the world will be in their homes, will be gathering in communities to celebrate the festival of freedom. And today, this Shabbat, we are gathered together because Shabbat is also a time when we celebrate the freedom that we have inside of our spirits. It's told according to the Hasidic notion that there's a teaching that each one of us has a second soul that is delivered to us on Shabbat. And so the rest of the week, the rest of the six days, we in some ways, and I'm sure everybody here can relate to this, we deal with the mundanities. We deal with sometimes the drudgery or the things that happen every single day that are just regular or ordinary. And then on Shabbat, it's as if we need to have something to uplift us, to make us realize that it's a gift, that for 25 hours we separate ourselves and just dwell in holy time. I felt it tonight with Cantor Framrican, that sense of uplift. Uh, so what are you doing for the next 25 hours is the question. <laughs> Would it be nice to have that kind of sense, that spirit, that song? And certainly the history of our people, when we think about the fact that it's International Women's Day, so much of the Passover Seder, so much of the story has to do with the men, the patriarchs in the story. Tonight I wanted to focus in honor of International Women's Day and the fact that it is the 40th anniversary of the ordination of women on two very important characters that will inspire us from inside of ourselves this Shabbat and also in terms of what happened in the world at that time and what's happening in this world. So in the Passover story, and we sang a little bit about those moments of great redemption when we sang the Micha Mocha, which is the song, our redemption song, lifted right out of the story of the Exodus, which we talk about, the very end of the 10 plagues, when the sea splits and the Israelites look forward to their freedom and back to slavery. And just to give you the uh, micro version, in case you're not familiar with it and how we got to where we are, is that our people ended up in Egypt because the 12 tribes settled there when Joseph brought their brothers, their family, down to Egypt. But several generations later, a pharaoh arose in Egypt who didn't know Joseph and didn't know how this huge group of Israelites had landed in Goshen in Egypt and became numerous and numerous and multiplied. And this pharaoh was fearful of the Israelite people and enslaved them and looked at how great they were in number, became fearful they were gonna overthrow the Egyptians, and decided the only way that he could diminish their numbers was to do something horrifying, which was to kill all the Israelite boys. But the Pharaoh couldn't do this on his own, and so he enlisted two very famous characters. Um, I'm wondering how famous they are. Who are the two characters who carry out the first evidence of civil disobedience in the entire Torah. Does anybody know who they are? They're two women. Shifra and Pua. Has anybody here ever heard of Shifra and Pua? Okay, well, tomorrow, if you're at Pete's after services and somebody says, have you ever heard of Shifra and Pua? What are you gonna say? As a matter of fact, last night when I was in Shul, I heard all about Shifra and Pua. Shifra and Pua, were the midwives to the Israelite slaves. And they are enlisted by Pharaoh to kill the Israelite slaves' baby boys. And there is a big machloket. There's a concern in the text 
asking if these two women, Shifra and Pua, who are the head midwives, are they midwives who are Israelite women or are they Egyptian women? And the reason that that's questioned, especially by the commentator, the great commentator Rashi, is because if they were Israelite midwives to the Israelite slaves, then of course they weren't going to go ahead and do what Pharaoh asked, which was to kill baby boys. But if they were Egyptian midwives to the Israelite slaves, it would be even more serious, more intentional civil disobedience, because to them, the Pharaoh was God on earth. And so, as the story goes, it says, the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh said to the Hebrew midwives, when you deliver the Hebrew women and you see during delivery it's a baby boy, I'm commanding you to kill the boys. And if it's a girl, she shall live. Now, that gave me the indication when I first read it, Pharaoh was not so bright. He wanted to do away with the Israelite slaves and he let the little girls grow up. Not so smart. And in fact, the boys grow up too, we know, because Shifra and Pua refuse to do his bidding and none of the Israelite boys are killed. And Pharaoh sees there's all these young Israelite boys who are growing up in Egypt in the community. And so the king of Egypt summoned the midwives, seeing all of these baby boys still alive. And he says in the book of Exodus, why have you done this thing? How could you have allowed the boys to live? And so the midwives say to Pharaoh, and they've obviously thought about this, because the Hebrew women, the Israelite women, are not like the Egyptian women. They are extremely vigorous, and we can't catch up with them. They give birth as they're working, and they're already back into the fields with their babies nursing and working at the same time. All people should think that about Jewish mothers. <laughs> they're working, they're breastfeeding, they're building the pyramids. We can do it. So the real question about the civil disobedience is, not only were they Egyptian or Israelite, but when they did this civil disobedience against Pharaoh, who was God on earth, according to that culture, what if, instead of lying, they had just told the Pharaoh that it was their moral conscience that made it impossible for them to kill the babies, that they just couldn't do it? And we compare whether or not lying to the Pharaoh was as effective or as intentional civil disobedience as telling the truth. And the commentators teach us they had to lie to the Pharaoh because if they told Pharaoh the truth, he would have come up with another way to have killed the baby boys. The midwives are also given two different identities. Shifra and Pua, who are, have Egyptian names, are also given the names of Moses's mother and his wife, Yochaved and Zipporah. In, in some ways kind of doubling their female strength and giving our prophetesses the also ultimate ability to be the midwives for the people for the future. But I, I like to think that they were actually Egyptian women who were helping the Israeli women, the Israelite women giving birth, because it seems like it's more potent civil disobedience because they didn't have to do it. If they were Israelite women, of course they were going to save their own babies, but not if they were Egyptians. So one of the things that comes to mind for me is this idea of their relationship to Pharaoh. And I want you to think not just of the, phys the physical reality of slavery, but with Shifra and Pua, when they do civil disobedience, they are challenging the Pharaoh's authority. And they're saying almost that in every generation, not only is there an external Pharaoh, but there's something about the Pharaoh in each one of us that we have to overcome, that we have to pull out of ourselves. Shabbat gives us the opportunity to not only study Torah, but to actually look inside of ourselves and think about what is it in each one of us at this time of year 
that's a little bit of Pharaoh. The Hebrew word for uh, Egypt, the land of Egypt, is Mitzrayim, and inside of it is, is the word Tsar, or narrowness. So if you think for a moment, is there a place in you that's a little narrow? Is there a place in you that's maybe too arrogant and puffed up, like the chametz of Pesach? And I believe that Shifra and Pua are inviting us into not only the civil disobedience that we do outside when we challenge things in the world that are wrong, but on Shabbat gives us a little bit of time to step back and look inside of ourselves and ask, you know, Passover's coming in a week and a half. What is it about me that's puffed up? Or what is it about me that's narrow? Either in my own relationship with myself, my relationship with my spouse, my children, my friends, my workmates, the world. And what am I going to do about it? Am I going to also have a shifra and a pua inside of me? People who are going to challenge that as we go forward. So finally, in addition to those heroes or heroines, I want to say that this Pesach is also a double portion of impending freedom or potential, not only for the Jewish people, but for the people in this country. And I think that it is um, maybe a coincidence, or maybe not, that on March 26th, which is the first day of Pesach in a week and a half, the United States Supreme Court is going to be in session. So when we are grading horseradish and making matzo balls and gefilte fish, the United States Supreme Court also has a task at hand to think about if they're going to be Pharaoh or Shifra and Pua. And what I would say is there are now 15 states that are urging the Supreme Court to overturn the Defense of Marriage Act, as well as our own President Barack Obama. And if you read in uh, the Washington Post yesterday, the president that signed the Defense of Marriage Act into law in 1996 was President Clinton. And unlike the Pharaoh in the story whose heart is hardened and never repents and never thinks back into his actions and has an ability to actually come forward and is forced by God to free the Israelite slaves, President Clinton didn't have to come forward and say, I made a mistake. And what I did by signing the Defense of Marriage Act and preventing marriage equality for all people in this country, he didn't have to say what he did was unconstitutional. But what he came out and said yesterday is that the Defense of Marriage Act is not constitutional. It's depriving people of rights. So when I think as a rabbi and as a lesbian of the fact that on Passover, the Supreme Court is going to be making a decision about the fact that maybe the day after all people in this country will be able to get married, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it's something that we should really be remarking upon because in the days after that, some kind of history having to do with freedom and civil rights is going to be made. So in honor of the fact that it is International Women's Day, I want to give you an opportunity because in the, uh, in the Passover Haggadah, we're given a command which says, say ulmad, which means go out and study. And so one of the things, since I brought your attention to two women who you had never heard of, who play a hugely significant role in the text, I mean, if, if I didn't say it clearly, if it wasn't for them, we would not be here tonight. Right? If the Israelite boys had all died, I think it would be a different kind of congregation here. All right, we might all be across the street at the church. I'm just saying that we owe Shifra and Pua a lot in terms of our present and our past and our future. And so I wanted to tell you that the obligation of Seulamad of going out and study is not just on the Seder, but I'm going to invite you to come back here, even if you live out of town and you're here for about mitzvah, and ask you to come back in town because my Tauber class for the spring is called the wise, wicked, and wondrous women of Jewish tradition. 
And how many people here have ever studied Torah before? How many people here just haven't had time to study Torah? Come on, you could admit it if you haven't had time. Rabbi Hillel says in Pure Kavod, don't say, I'll study Torah when I have the time, because guess what? You might never have the time. So I'm just telling you that starting March 19th, I'm going to be teaching an eight-week class about the wise, wicked, and wondrous women in Jewish text. Men are allowed to come, too. Um, and it's an eight-week class, and I hope you'll come and join us. There's two other Tauber classes for the spring. Make a little time, whether you're Jewish or not, to fulfill the obligation of studying Torah and come and learn with us. And you'll have a lot to talk about for the rest of your lives. Shabbat Shalom.